And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Carry on my way, one son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Welcome to episode four. Yeah. Episode four of Lupa's Bits. I am your host, Lupa. Some of you may know me as Stephanie J. Birdie. Um, Because I host another Bits, more Niffy. Um, Yeah. So I am back home, which is located about three blocks south of the surface of the sun right now. Um, not complaining about the heat. No, no, you will never, ever, ever, ever hear me, hear me complain about the heat, ever. I promise you that. I love the heat. It could be hotter. I would not complain. Not even slightly. Um, the humidity, on the other hand, I do tend to get a little twitchy about that, only because it's sticky, and it's so sticky right now, I don't even want to touch myself. Um, sorry, I was just, I had to set my battery to battery saver mode, because I just realized that I'm at 35%, and I'm not exactly sure where my splitter is, and it's a pain, and yeah, so, you know, we're just going to go with it. And hopefully I won't run out of oh <sighs> battery before I run out of podcast. So anyway, yeah, I'm back home. I am right now currently sprawled rather unceremoniously and not very ladylike in front of my fan, which you can probably hear rumbling away in the background. And I have the two ceiling fans going at airplane speed. So you might hear them too. Only if the one starts ticking. <sighs> Trying not to melt into my mattress. Now, I've noticed a pillow top mattress is great in the winter. You're nice and toasty warm and it's comfortable. It's not so great in the summer. It doesn't provide the, the coolness that a normal mattress, you know, you move your foot over and there's that nice cool spot. Yeah, no, not on this one. Could be the sheets. I don't know. But, uh, I am, I will honestly, I will be honest, I am missing the pool. Um, last week when I, <laughs> there went my brain. <laughs> last week when I podcasted, is that actually a word? I think it is. Anyway, last week when I podcasted, I was podcasting from the pool. My happy butt was sitting in the pool, in the water. My legs were floating. Bottom half of me was sort of floating. Trying to keep the top half of me out of the water because I didn't want to drop my headphones in the water. But yeah, I was podcasting poolside. Now I am podcasting fanside. I was going to go for a drive and actually podcast lakeside because I live in a town that is pretty much surrounded by water. Um, so I could go anywhere and hit a beach, hit water. But uh, no. I ended up on an impromptu business call 
Um, you know how when you, you work with people and it's really hard to schedule a time, especially when you're all in different time zones, to schedule a time to have a business meeting because there's always something coming up or somebody's got to go somewhere and you find that perfect moment when you happen to have them both online and they're both fairly coherent and awake and it's like oh i'm gonna take this opportunity like you busy no great you busy no great guess what (laughs) so yeah because trying to pin down especially one of them trying to pin down a decent time when they have the freedom and the quietness around them to be able to discuss business is like trying to nail jello to a tree. They have small children, so quiet is something that usually occurs when everybody in the house is sleeping. So, but I mean, it is what it is. And those of us that work with this person know it is what it is. And we're okay with that. You know, you work from home. Home happens to have the people that you live with in the home. So they have lives. Life happens around you when you work from home. So people have to kind of understand that when you work from home, there's going to be life happening around you. You can't push pause on life when you work from home. You just have to learn to work around it. So yeah, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to do this now. <laughs> so that's why, you know, the, I'm podcasting from my bedroom instead of my car driving around catching a nice breeze through the windows because, like I said, we are about four blocks south of the surface of the sun. Um, pretty sure whatever Mother Nature is cooking outside in Ontario, it's done. But... She can keep the oven on to keep it warm. I'm all right with that. She's waiting for father time to come home for dinner, and he's always late. (sighs) I love summer. I really do. It is my favorite season. Um, I like getting a tan. I like the way my skin looks with a tan. Although, I have noticed that it is as I get older, it's getting harder and harder to tan my legs. The tops of my legs, not so much. They do get brown. But between my knee and my ankle, yeah, pasty white girl. I don't know what it is. Even when I sit out with my legs out so that they're all getting equal amounts of sun, they don't want to tan. And it looks ridiculous because I have tan from thigh to knee. Then from knee to ankle, there is no tan. Very little tan. It's it's white. And then when you get to my foot, because I wear flip-flops, or as my two-year-old nephew would say, slip-slops, There is this brown line, tan line, where there is no flip-flop. And then there is a white line where there is flip-flop. And then my toes are brown. My toes are brown to the point where they almost look dirty. But they're not. Trust me. I know. I scrubbed them. That doesn't come off. And then the top half of me looks like it spent the last two and a half weeks in Hawaii. It's all golden brown. Well, it's darker than golden brown and like a brown little berry. And, yeah, so, you know, freckles, and because I'm Irish, so I'm not exactly sure if I tan or if all my freckles kind of just merge into one big one. But, yeah, it looks, my body is in various stages of tanning. (laughs) 
It looks ridiculous. Uh, that's why if you ever see me with a complete and total even tan, you know I've been to a tanning salon. Or I'm using a spray tan, because I don't tan evenly. And then you see my back. And parts of my back are pasty white. Parts of my front are pasty white, too. But, you know, I, I love summer. Summer is my favorite season. Spring, not warm enough for me. Fall, not warm enough for me. Summer. And summer is not very long in Ontario. It's pretty much from, like, the end of June to the first week of August. That's summer. July. That's summer. July. And then it, you know, it, it's cool up until then, and then it starts to get cool after then. So I get July. One month. One month. So I'm trying to organize my writing career to where I make enough money in the warm more-ish months that I can continue to make money ghostwriting and stuff like that in the cold months, but travel to a warmer climate. Now, I started that last year. I went to Florida in January with my mom, and I was supposed to be there till the end of March, but COVID-19 had, you know, other plans. And it's kind of looking like it's going to interfere with those plans yet again. Um, because the borders are closed. So the warmest climate I could travel to in the winter months would be BC, British Columbia. You don't want to go out to the East Coast in the wintertime. No, 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 nay, 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 nay. Because they get these wonderful things called nor'easters and they get really, it's like the, the snow kind of blows in from the East. Off the, I think that's the Atlantic Ocean. Pretty sure that's the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know. Geography was not my strong suit. So don't judge me. Um, they get all these really bad ocean effect snows and storms and squalls and monsoons and chinooks and whatever you want to call them. Pick another fish. I don't know. And it's there. I mean, they don't get a lot of snow. But it's ugly. Whereas BC has wonderful weather. The West Coast has wonderful weather. Um, my sister one year with a group of her, her buddies, I think she was in university at the time for spring break. I think it was spring break. They went to BC because my sister's always wanted to, um, snowboard in the mountains in Banff. So they did and they went snowboarding like all morning. And then she said it was the coolest thing because they came down from the mountain. And spent the afternoon poolside drinking Mai Tais and, and margaritas um, and swimming all afternoon. So she was up on the mountain in a long sleeve turtleneck and shorts, snowboarding, came down the mountain and changed into her bathing suit and went swimming and lounged by the pool and drank all afternoon. So, yeah, I could go to BC, but that's as far as I can go to a warmer climate. Um, in Ontario, it would be my sister's. She is pretty much, other than St. Catharines and Niagara Falls, which is only 20 minutes from where she lives, she is pretty much as far south as I can go in Ontario. But I can't cross the border because the border's closed. Which really sucks. Because I had events planned 
I was supposed to go to Indiana. I was supposed to go back to California in October, and that event got canceled. I'm supposed to go back in February. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, because now they're talking about keeping the borders closed into 2021. February's in 2021. It's just inside of 2021. So, yeah, needless to say, this has me a little concerned. Um, Because that's my career you're messing with now, folks. And, and a big part of my social life. So stop it. Follow the rules. Do as you're told. It puts the lotion on or it gets the cranky loopa. Okay? Just saying. I do, I do have to admit, speaking of rules and COVID-19, and you all know, y'all know, you all know, I was going to say something, especially those in Ontario that are listening to my podcast and, um, especially the ones in my local area. Our county, Simcoe County, has mandated as of the 13th that, um, any business that you go into, any public enclosed public building that you go into, you have to wear a mask. Now, I find it rather funny. Um, first of all, no, it does not deplete your oxygen. Yes, I do understand there are people that have medical issues and can't wear one. My grandson is one of those. Now, he's two. So getting a two-year-old to wear a mask is hard to begin with. But he has, um, I can't remember the actual term for it. He's autistic. And I can't remember the actual term for it. But he has a severe aversion to anything touching, being on, near, around, or even spoken of on his face. Don't do it. He can't wear, you can't put makeup on him for Halloween. You can't put a scarf on him for the winter when you go outside. He doesn't like hats that come around the side of his face. He completely loses his mind. Putting a mask on him, and trust me, my daughter-in-law has tried. Putting a mask on him is like trying to hold down a mongoose and pet it. An angry mongoose. I swear this child can rotate in his skin and get away all the while having a complete and total meltdown. So, yeah, they can't take him out into a store. Which, for a lot of single moms, if they have a child that has this problem, that's going to be difficult. If you're a single mom, how are you going to go shopping? Especially if you don't have anybody to watch your kids. How are you going to do that? How do you put a mask on a nine-month-old baby? But anyway, I digress. I am in full support of wearing the masks. Because, and you have to understand, the masks don't protect you. The mask protects others from you. And I'm okay with that, because I am one of those others that need the protection. And yes, I may have had COVID-19 earlier. In, I think it was March? April when I was really sick. Um, I am more than willing to wear a mask to protect you. I have no problems with that. I get sweaty. 
I, you know, I'm 48 years old and I have pimples again because I'm sweating so bad under this mask. But I will do it. I will suffer through that to protect you. But that's neither here nor there. I haven't gotten to the funny part. I'm getting a little ranty and I don't want to be ranty. It's too hot to be ranty. So anyway, um, so yeah, it's mandatory now as of Monday that we have to wear masks in any public enclosed building that we go into. Now, of course, there is the usual chaotic uproar. You can't force me, yada, yada, yada. Well, I saw this meme on Facebook that actually rang very true. You go into a store. Now, you have to keep in mind that it is legal in Canada for women to go topless outside. I could walk down the main street of my town topless and not get a ticket because it is legal to do that. What it is not legal to do is to go into a store without a shirt. No shirt, no shoes, no service. And you have no problem with that. You will put a shirt on to go into that store. You'll put shoes on to go into that store. Put a mask on to go into that store. Cars used to have seatbelts, and those were just a suggestion. Didn't have to buckle your kids up. I remember as a child, we would drive to Florida in a station wagon. And my cousin Stuart would have one side of the back of the station wagon. We would be separated by the suitcases, and I would have the other side in the back, the flat back part of the station wagon, not in a seatbelt. We would climb all around the car. My uncle would come from the front of the car to the very back of the car to beat my cousin's ass when he was being a jerk. While we were barreling down the highway towards Florida. Wasn't mandatory to wear seatbelts. It was just a suggestion. It was a safety feature. You could use it or not. Then it became the law. Click it or ticket. Well, okay. And now you get into the car and the first thing you do is you grab your seatbelt and you click it. And you start the car and off you go. You don't even think about it now. Masks are the exact same thing. It's for your safety. And the safety of others. You get into a car accident and you're not wearing your seatbelt. You become a projectile. You're out in public. You have COVID-19. You're asymptomatic. You sneeze. That becomes a projectile. bad comparison but you know it works it's pretty pretty close so you don't have a problem wearing a shirt when you go in a store you don't have a problem wearing shoes when you go into the store and trust me i know people who cannot stand wearing shoes i am one of them i hate shoes and socks hate them and unfortunately i was graced with the wonderful hereditary trait in my family me and my brother both my sister not so much but me and my brother both inherited the Dorito feet in our family. So to put socks and shoes on in weather like this, I don't want to, but I will, because I want to go into that store. And now I'll put a mask on to go into that store. It's not going to last forever. 
I mean, seriously, come on. It's not going to last forever. Think about it. Things will settle down. Things will go back to the new kind of normal. So stop your bitch and put your mask on and go do your shopping. You were wearing it before you were told to. You're only upset because now you're told to. And we're a society that doesn't like to be told what to do. Not by our government, not by law enforcement, not by our parents, not by our boss, not by our peers, by nobody. Unfortunately, we are also human beings and we don't do well when we govern ourselves. We need to be told what to do. Where to go. And then we can make our own decisions. But we need clear guidelines. Just, just leave it. I admit it. I need clear guidelines. Tell me what to do. Okay, I'll go do it. I may do it my own way. But I will. Give me clear guidelines. Get into a car. This is how you drive it. Okay, okay. You can modify how you drive it later. But give me the basics. This is how you drive the car. Okay. Clear guidelines. So, yeah, I find it really funny that you know, all these people, if you're going to complain about having to wear a mask to go into a store to get service, then you might as well complain about having to wear a shirt or shoes. Okay. And then if you're in my family, you might as well add wearing a hat to the table, too. Because that's a no-no. I forgot a couple of times when my nephews were uh, at my sister's and I was there, too. And, um... I really got a really good glimpse into how we were raised and how much my dad actually is ingrained in my brother and my sister and myself. Um, dinner time, I always remember to take my hat off before I, if I was wearing my baseball cap or, you know, my primo cap or my cowboy hat, I would always take it off at dinner time. Lunchtime, I usually didn't think about it because I was out working in the yard or doing something and I would come in and sit down and inhale a sandwich and go. I wasn't thinking proper meal. I was just, you know, sitting down, shoving food and going. And my nephew, my oldest nephew, um, every time I'd come to the table, if I had my hat on, he'd be looking at me. What are you doing? I'm sitting here eating my lunch. What's that on your head? Ooh, my hat. Uh-huh. If I take your hat off, you're going to sit at the table. Oh, yes, sir. Take my hat off. <laughs> I mean, he's 12. So it, it, it was, and that's how we were raised as kids. You don't wear your hat to the table. My grandfather taught us that. My dad ingrained that into us and now to see my 12 year old nephew it is so ingrained into him that it is bizarre for him to see somebody sitting at the table with a hat on their head it just he he can't eat his meal he can't function until that person takes that hat off his head because it is just that disrespectful to him so it was kind of cool I was like, oh i'm sorry my bad <laughs> it was like seeing my dad sitting there looking at me like what are you doing Take that goofy thing off your head. Because back in the day, I did, I would wear the big artistic black felt hats and, and, you know, floppy sombrero type hats. And, and, um, I had like a French tam and I had a, like a golfer's, um, beret, like a French beret. And, and I had a bunch of, different hats that I would wear and it would take a lot because I also you know really big it was the 80s okay really big hair so to get that hat 
perched perfectly atop the really big hair and not have it look like it's perched atop really big hair, that the really big hair is kind of artfully flowing out from this hat, took a lot of work. A lot of work to make it look natural. A lot of work. Just so it looked like you just threw it up there and off you went. The 80s. Telling you, me and my friends should have taken out shares in Aquanet. We would have been millionaires just from the amount of hairspray that we would use just to go to school. The 80s. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. And, you know, when you're short, the bigger the hair, the taller you look. So mine was fairly high. And blue at one point. Um, and purple. And green. All at the same time. Looked really cool. There are pictures. You're not going to see them. I, well, I may have posted them online. I'm not sure. They might be on my private Facebook. Maha! No, I said private Facebook. If you're a private friend, you can go find them. I posted a picture the other day of um, my best friend from public school. And she was my best friend all through public school and all through high school. And for many years after high school. And then we kind of lost touch for a few years. And then we reconnected again about 10 years ago. And we're, you know, thick as thieves again. Um, so we've known each other 40 years. Good Lord. Since grade three. How about we just say that? Since grade three, we have known each other. And I came across her graduation picture. And it was the same year I was supposed to graduate because we were in the same grade. And I was supposed to graduate the same year. Um, unfortunately, I had a lot of issues when I was a teenager. And I dropped out of high school and got married and had a baby instead. So while she was graduating, I was incubating a baby. Anyway, and that had the year on the back because it was the picture she had given to my mom and dad. Because my mom and dad were like the community parents for all of my friends. You know, my dad was the grumbly, keep you in line. And my mom was the one that everybody, all my friends would go to. And she would sit and talk to them and she would scold them and she would love on them. And I'm the same kind of mom with my kids' friends. They all know me. They know if they screw up, I'm going to yell at them. But I'm going to love on them too. I'm going to hold them when they cry. But uh, yeah, it had the year on it. And I, I, wow. I I couldn't believe the year on it. Because it doesn't, wow. And then I was reminded that my oldest child will be turning 30 in November. How is it that he is turning 30 when I still think I'm in my 30s? I haven't accepted the fact that I'm in my 40s, never mind the fact that I'm two years away from being 50. So, yeah, I'm not thrilled about that at all. (laughs) I was supposed to graduate high school in 1990. I went back 10 years later. 10 years later? Um, eight years later. 
before my daughter was born. So I went back eight years later and graduated. Uh, my boys were eight and six at the time. And I, I decided to go back to high school instead of just getting my GED. Um, I decided to actually go back. I did have my GED, but back then you had to rewrite it every three years, I think it was. And the math was just getting harder and harder for me. Told you, I don't math. Math is not my strong suit. Um, so I decided to actually go back to high school. I only had a few credits that I needed to do and I could do them all in computer courses, which was great. And I graduated with my high school diploma. So I decided to do that because how can you push your children to finish school and get that high school diploma when you don't have it yourself? Not that it worked because none of my kids graduated high school. Mm, Proud mommy moment. So, yeah. But, I mean, both my boys have jobs, have full-time jobs. They're supporting their families. Um... And they're decent human beings. So, my daughter's 19. She's still trying to figure out life, I guess. I don't know. She's trying to figure stuff out. Whatever. They're alive. They made it to adulthood. Mostly in one piece. So, I did my job. (laughs) I'm a great mom. (laughs) I got them there alive. What more do you want from me? So, apparently, I've been told, and I I was doing it again today, I give great advice, and I can help people um, sort through their personal... I can't do it myself. I can't... Yeah, no. But, boy, can I help other people. I spent um, a long time when I was at my sister's talking to somebody and helping them work through a lot of their anger issues and getting them to see things from a different perspective from somebody else's point of view. Um, and then today I was talking to the other person in that relationship and they were telling me how much I helped this person and how much this person said that I, I helped them work through a lot of their emotions and why they were feeling the way they were feeling and, how they can deal with certain things that are upsetting them and work through that and work through their anger um, and seeing things from their partner's perspective. And then I was talking with her and helping her work through some of her issues and ended up getting invited to their wedding. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you have any advice or you want any advice, just, you know, hit me up. Let me know. See what I can do. Do do like a deer lupa. (laughs) Now, you might not like my advice because I am fairly blunt and outspoken if you haven't figured that out by now. And I don't take advice very well. I like to screw things up all on my own. Um, Yeah, you know. So, yeah, if you want to do like a deer lupa segment on this show, hit me up. You can ask me anonymously, whatever. I don't care. I won't say your name if you don't want me to, but be specific about that. Be specific. And I will answer your questions on the show. Help you out the best I can. Throw a little sarcasm in there. You know, I mean, if I think your significant other's being a douche, I'm going to tell you. Uh, they're being a douche. Or you're being a douche. Fix it. 
Stop it. Get out while you can. You know, happiness is an important thing. Happiness is big. If you're not happy, you need to fix things to make yourself happy. And if you can't fix the situation around you and be happy, then you need to be somewhere where you can be happy. Because if you're miserable, you're making everybody around you miserable. And you can't have one happy person in, in a relationship and one miserable person. It doesn't work. You either both have to be happy or you're both miserable. And, and sometimes things just run their course and you got to move on. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if you want any advice, if you have a question. And I mean, I am not afraid to cover anything. I will talk about anything. If you've got a zit on your knee and, and you don't know what to do about it, I might not be able to completely, I, ew, <laughs> for one, ew, but I might have a, like, hot compress or something. Um, if you're having personal anxiety issues, I can offer you some unsolicited not medical advice. I'm uh, not afraid to talk about sex or personal hygiene, whatever. I don't care. Not afraid to talk about it. I have tons of unsolicited advice that I would be more than willing to throw at you in one form or another. And I might just do that anyway. I might just pick a topic and do like a Sunday evening, except on a Thursday morning, Dr. Ruth, or, um, if you're Canadian, Sex with Sue. <laughs> and I know, everybody that's listening to this from my generation just laughed. There was this woman, and she was, I think, Canada's equivalent to Dr. Ruth Westheimer, and her name was Sue. And she had a show on PBS every Sunday night. I think it was on PBS. And somebody out there is going to correct me if I'm wrong. Right, Mike? Or Jason? Um, and she had this show every Sunday. And it was Sex with Sue. And, I mean, she brought props. And she did demonstrations <laughs> with the props. Um, and she answered questions. And she fielded phone calls. And... and she was blunt and outspoken and used terms and things that, you know, we could understand. And yeah, it was hilarious. And my parents watched it every Sunday. So it was a little awkward, you know, sex with Sue on Sundays. Yeah. Great Canadian show. I, I highly advise you YouTube it and see if you can find it because she was fantastic. Everybody I knew wanted her for their grandma. She was great. I mean, I, I, I always said when I was, I wanted to be a mom like her. And I'm pretty sure I was. I mean, and then as we got older, we had like the Roseanne show and everybody wanted to be parents like Roseanne and Dan and we were. And. You know, you tried to be like the Huxtables, but you ended up more like the Connors. Just the way it went. But I'm, I, I tried to keep topics of conversation in my house with my kids open. They could come to me and talk to me about drugs. 
I would be completely and totally honest with them about what I had tried, what I had not tried, why I had tried it, what I experienced, whether I liked it or not, um, why I didn't try certain drugs, alcohol. Yeah, okay. Come talk to me. I will tell you. And I will tell you all about my bad experiences. I will tell you about my good experiences. Sex, open topic of conversation. You have questions. I would much rather you come and ask me and I give you the proper information than for you to try and look it up online and get a misguided, exaggerated, because, I mean, y'all know porn is exaggerated. That ain't real. There isn't a pizza boy around that looks like that and is willing to take payment like that. No, they want the cash. Anyway, I would rather them come to me and ask me their questions and me give them real answers instead of trying to figure it out on their own. And they did. Much to their father's chagrin, they did. So, in that department, I have well-rounded children. They have no problems expressing themselves, and they have no problems talking about things. They're not shy when it comes to emotions or relationships or sex. And they have good, healthy interactions in those departments. Um, for example... And I can tell you this story because I know none of my kids listen to my podcast because, you know, it's mom. (laughs) When my oldest boy was 10 or 11 and he was just starting into puberty. So parts of his body were starting to make themselves known. And when he was sleeping, his imagination was taking him to places he had never been before. And he was experiencing things he had never experienced before. So we had always, like I said, I raised them that nothing, no question is taboo. If you want to know, ask. And dinner time was always the one time of the day the entire family got together and ate a meal. So there was a lot of talking, a lot of how was your day? What did you do? Questions asked. Dinner was usually like a two-hour affair in our house. Because the boys were off doing their thing. I was off doing mom things with the baby, with like with Katie when she was little. Because Andrew was 10, Katie was a newborn. And their dad was off doing their his thing. He was working, whatever. And he worked shift work. He's always worked shift work. So there was only two weeks out of three that we got to have dinner together. And one of those weeks was midnight shift. So it all depended on how his sleep went during the day, whether or not he joined us for dinner, whether or not he was groggy and grumpy and it was a quiet dinner. Um, so day shift was usually the week that we did a lot of talking during dinner. And, we were having, it was craft dinner and hot dog night. So we were having craft dinner and hot dogs. And um, we had decided a long time ago that their father would field the boy questions because he was a guy. I would field the girl questions. And when we made this deal, we only had two boys. So I was getting off pretty lucky. 
And then we had a girl and I went, oh crap. Okay. So we're sitting at the dinner table and our 10 year old looks at his father and says, can I ask you something? And their dad's like, okay, sure, go ahead. He says, how do you know if you've had a wet dream? I have never seen their father shove that much craft dinner in his mouth that fast in my entire life. He looked like a freaking chipmunk about ready to explode. And then he looks at me and goes, mm-hmm. uh, 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 sure, okay, I got this. So I looked at my son and I said, when you get out of bed in the morning and your sheets are stuck to you and they follow you to the bathroom, that's how you know. Just bring them down to the laundry room, put them in the washing machine. I won't ask any questions. I will wash them for you and put them back on your bed. And then he asked me what a wet dream was and why it made his body do what it did. So then I had to field that question because their father's still over here shoveling in craft dinner. So, yeah, open topic of conversation in my house. And then, because I mean, you could tell I was a little uncomfortable. I think that was the moment that the game, the game, was born. And the game is only between me and my oldest boy. The younger two never really got in on it. They couldn't quite understand it. They thought it was a little weird. The game between me and my oldest is to see who can disturb the other one more. Now, I did pretty good fielding the questions. He was a little uncomfortable. He was 10. So the game carried on over the years. He was 13 or 14, I think. 14, I think. And we have a wall that goes in between the kitchen and the living room. And that was always the timeout wall. And my oldest boy was getting to be about 13, 14. He was getting a little big for his britches. He was getting a little mouthy. He was also the same size as I was, so it's not like I could put him over my knee and spank his bottom. He was a teenager. Couldn't take him up back and kick his butt. Because he was the same size as I was. (laughs) He'd probably kick my butt. So, we used the timeout wall. Get over there. Stand at the timeout wall. Well, then I called up my best friend who lived two doors down who had a, a boy who was a teenager, older teenager, and she had the same policy So, you know, when her boy started dating and um, experimenting in sex and and that, he came to her and just looked at her and said, Mom, condoms. She put a box of condoms in the bathroom. When it started getting low, she would replace it. She would buy him his penthouse and Playboy magazines because he was only 16 or 17. He couldn't buy them himself. You know, he's a teenage boy. It's... There isn't any Victoria's Secret or National Geographic lying around, so give him the good stuff. So I called her up, grab a book, grab a mag, come on down. Andrew's at the timeout wall. So she comes running down, runs right up to him. He's standing there with his face facing the wall, and the rule is that you got to face that wall. You can't look away, you can't turn your head, you can't look down, you can't look up, you got to look at the wall. Because that's boring. And that's your punishment. 
and she slams that magazine right at the centerfold, right in front of him on the wall. <laughs> he read about 16 shades of red. <laughs> it was great. And I had won. For a while. For a while, I had won. And then he got me back. He was 18, I think. 18 or 19. Still living at home. He had gone out for the evening. And his father and I, nobody was in the house. The youngest child was at her aunt's. The two boys were out. The middle boy had gone to live with his dad, so he didn't live here anymore. Oldest boy was out. We had the house to ourselves. So we had a moment. Didn't think to close the bedroom door. Didn't think to, you know, kids are in the house volume. No. Walked down the hall to get a glass of water later. My son was home the entire time. He opens his door and he leans back in his computer chair and looks down the hall at his dad. Gives him the thumbs up and says, Way to go, Dad! I wanted the floor to open up and swallow me whole. That's it. I was done. And I have not been able to top that one since. And then, and then the boy, the boy got married. Married a wonderful woman. Absolutely adore my daughter-in-law. He couldn't have picked a better one. I'm telling you. She tolerates him. I mean, that gave her kudos in my book right from the start. Then he recruited her in on the game. And he hasn't had to actively play the game in five years. Because he's got her doing it now. She, she, and she's good. She's good. She's good. Really good. Yep. I, I can't win. I can't. There's no way. So now i got to wait until I'm in my 80s and wearing diapers. Then we're going to see. Then we're going to see. I have it planned. I There is, like, this is like long game. <laughs> Not over until one of us is dead. But this is just between me and my oldest boy and now his wife. Um... And I'm pretty sure when my grandson gets up there in age, you know, he'll recruit him too. But, uh, I mean, each one of my kids, we have a special thing. And that's kind of a special, it's weird. People don't understand it. But we're weird. We're very close. Like my entire family, we are very close. We are a very close-knit family. And I owe that, I, I credit all of that to my dad. Now, he wasn't my biological dad. My mom, I think I told you this story a couple of podcasts ago, maybe, or last week, um, about when they got married and he presented my mom with her ring and said his vows to her. And then he presented me with a ring and said his vows to me as my new stepdad. And he was a family man. He was a meat and potatoes Work nine to five or eight to whatever it was that he worked, seven to three, seven to whatever. 
home on the weekends. Let's go camping. Let's go fishing. Let's go play some baseball. Let's do family stuff. Family guy. And he was a guy. You know, he fixed cars. He built remote control airplanes and remote controlled boats and remote controlled cars. He had a workshop. He was a guy. He was a fireman, so he hung out with guys. And family was a big thing. Family dinners. Sunday dinner? Oh my goodness. We did not miss Sunday dinner. We had to have a darn good reason. Even after I moved out and had children and was married, we still had to come home for Sunday dinner. Now, mind you, I did in the early years um, when we were dirt poor. Um, I would go over there on Sundays and we would do laundry and we would shop in their pantry for groceries to take home because we didn't have any. And we would have a lovely Sunday dinner. So there were ulterior motives to Sunday dinner. But yeah, we, you know, if we ever had a Sunday that we didn't come for dinner, I was getting a phone call Monday morning from my mom. Your dad wants to know why you didn't come for Sunday dinner. Mom, I told you, we were out of town. Yeah, but it was Sunday dinner. Your dad wants to know why you weren't back in time for Sunday dinner. (laughs) Okay. And my dad used to tease me all the time. And tease my mom, you know, because my mom and I talked every day. We talk every day. One way or another, now it's it's whether we're texting or, you know, I pick up the phone and I call her and say, hey, I got to tell you something. We talk every day. And most days, it's usually three or four times a day. So my dad would tease me. I'd call the house and, you know, dad would answer the phone. Do you want to talk to your mother? Didn't you just talk to your mother 15 minutes ago? You talked to her six times already today. How do you need to talk to her? That's when I didn't call was funny because I'd get busy or I'd be mad at my mom and not want to talk to her and I wouldn't call. So if I didn't call for an entire day, I would either get a phone call that evening or first thing the next morning. Your dad wants to know what's the matter. Why didn't you call? We haven't heard from you in a day and a half. Dad's wondering what's going on. (laughs) It's like, but dad's always complaining. I call too much. So I didn't call. Well, your dad wants to know why you didn't call because I call too much. Yeah, but why didn't you call? <laughs> oh my goodness. You couldn't win with my dad. It was hilarious. So that was my dad. He was a big family man and he loved having family around. So we had to go home for Sunday dinner and it really broke him when my brother and my sister went away to school because they were away. And then it was just him and my mom in the house. He didn't like that. He liked having it. So it, we were over there all the time. Because he needed the people, kids around him. He adored his grandkids. Absolutely adored his grandkids. And I mean, if he was alive today, and I know I seem to be talking a lot about my dad, but the 12 year anniversary um, of his death is coming up in August. So I do a lot of thinking about him every year. I would, went down to his tree um, yesterday, I think it was. I went down to his tree, just me by myself, went down there and uh, I showed a friend of mine the tree and I like to go down there because it's the one, my dad was cremated and my mom has his ashes in a box in her room. So 
we don't even have a tombstone that we could go and talk to. So it's nice to have his tree that we can go. And it's big enough now that you can actually sit under the shade of his tree. And we can talk to him. And you feel like you have a place that you can go and talk to him. And it's uh, it's comforting. And every time, I, when I was there, um, and I was showing my friend my dad's tree and his plaque, which needs to be fixed. It's gotten pretty bad. It's pretty old. And as I was turning and walking away from the tree, a fire truck, you could hear the sirens from the fire truck going by out on the main road. <laughs> it's like, hi, daddy. How are you? Uh, today, when I was taking my daughter to Penetang to her friend's house, got to the end of my street and coming up Young Street, getting ready to turn down first to go down to the fire department, down to the firehouse was the ladder truck. And that was my dad's favorite truck. He loved the ladder truck. Absolutely loved the ladder truck because it's the big, it was the biggest truck in, in the garage is the ladder truck. And he loved riding on that thing. And uh, it was coming up street so katie and i both we looked at it and i'm like hey say hi to papa she's you know gives a smile like hi daddy and we turned and off we went i always do it's a habit now after so many years as soon as every time i see a fire truck hi daddy and uh yeah so i still feel them around sort of like i don't know i smell them every once in a while and he smelled like car grease and exhaust and gasoline he smelled like a mechanic because he was a mechanic that was his day job he was a mechanic and he was a good one too like i could call him up and tell him you know my car's making a weird sound and explain say do the sound and he'd tell me exactly what it was and then he would lecture me as why are you driving it like that and then he would lecture phil why is she why are you letting her drive it like that um he was a jokester he was a jokester Phil had a story. They were working on one of my vehicles that wasn't running properly. And there's this bearing and it has all these little needles in it. And Phil had made a comment to him about how in shop class in high school, he hated having to pack those bearings in because they're like, they're little needles. And you have to pack them in this grease inside the casing. And my dad accidentally, and I say that with quotations, dropped the bearing and all the little needly things fell out. And Phil had to pick them all up, clean them all off, put them all in while my dad sat there and giggled. Went, oops, my bad. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. He liked to, he, he was a practical joker. He liked practical jokes. Absolutely loved practical jokes. And uh, I was going through some old pictures and I may have told you the story of the picnic table in my mom's dining room. Pretty sure I've told you that story. And I actually found the picture of my dad and three of his fireman buddies, three sheets to the wind. It's the only time my dad smiled for pictures was when he had a few beer in his belly. Jar of mustard sitting on the table and they're sitting in the formal living room slash dining room at the picnic table. <laughs> like, I will say, my mom was fairly patient and had a good sense of humor because a lot of people would have lost their mind to come home and find this dirty picnic table 
from outside sitting in their formal, elegant living room, dining room that nobody ever sat in. We only ever used the dining room for holidays and special occasions. And that's where they returned the picnic table to. Because <laughs> mom said you can take the picnic table as long as you return it. So they wanted to make sure that she knew they had returned it to her dining room instead of the backyard where they got it from. So, yeah, it was kind of nice finding that picture because I've told that story to so many people and to find picture evidence. Like, see? See, I told you it was real. It really did happen. They returned it to the dining room. These guys were crazy. And this was your our local fire department. Um, that's, that's not the worst thing that they had done. That was not the worst thing that they had done. But uh, life was never interesting when my dad was, or it was never dull when my dad was around. It was interesting. And he was strict. He was strict. He had clearly defined rules that we were expected to live by. And I didn't always live by those rules. Um, out of us three kids, I was probably the one that butted heads with him the most. But... I never questioned that he loved me. Um, I question now if he was proud of me, if he would be proud of me. Because he was a, a manual labor kind of guy. He was a hard worker. So would he think that my career, my writing career was, you know, something to be proud of? I don't know. Mom says he'd be proud but I don't know yeah I miss him I miss him every day some days I miss him every minute of every day and that's the funny thing about when somebody dies you know and there aren't a lot of funny things but just because and, and people seem to think they always start referring everything in the past tense you know I I loved him. Well, no. I still love my dad. I will love my dad till the day I die. Just because he's gone doesn't mean I stopped loving him. My love didn't die. He did. I still love my dad. And people would tell me, oh, well, you're still grieving. You'll get over that. No, I won't. I'm not going to stop loving my dad just because he died. That's not how it works. So, I still love my dad. I love who he was. I miss him. And 12 years ago today, he was still alive. And that's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. There was a point in time now that he was alive, and there's a point in time when he wasn't. It's, it's, I don't know. Me and my siblings, the three of us, have a very hard time talking. I mean, we can talk about anything. We can converse and intellectualize and, and, guests and 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 whatever about any topic you get us on the topic of death 
And I just flat out refuse to do it because it scares me. The thought of it scares me. Um, the thought of doing it, of having to go through it, have to, having to endure that final moment and being aware that you're enduring that final moment, knowing you're going to die. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, my brother, it actually causes him panic attacks and, and, and serious anxiety. My sister, who is in the medical field. So death is a part of her job. She has a hard time with the fact that we just cease to exist. Our bodies just cease to exist. We're no longer here. We can't hug the people that we love. We can't have a conversation or read a book, watch a movie, eat our favorite food. We're just not here. And whether we're here in spirit form or not, physically we are not here. Our loved ones can no longer see us. They can no longer talk to us. They can't pick up the phone and call us. And that bothers my sister. So, I mean, it's funny. There's there's a lot of things that we can deal with and that we can handle. Like we lost our dad and we dealt with it. We handled it. We moved through it. And we stood together as a family and we cried and we did what we needed to do and we grieved and we moved through those stages and we were okay. We we adapted to a new normal. We spent an entire week with him in the hospital. And we managed through that week as he was dying to find moments to laugh. Find moments to smile and be happy. And, and, and this is a beautiful moment. Our dad's lying in front of us dying, but we found something beautiful in this moment. We shared a smile. We shared a laugh. We shared a happy memory our new normal and we adapted we are very adaptable in my family we can adapt we're very good at it death yeah the thought of it the theory and the mechanics and the the biology behind it yeah we don't we don't deal with that very well we don't deal with that at all we don't talk about it we don't deal with it we don't examine why we feel the way we do and it's not because our dad died. We have felt like this our entire lives. It's always been something we've had, the three of us have had issues with. I don't know. It's weird. Um, oh, yeah. And f- for the three of us each to have the same averse reaction to it, because we've never really discussed it. We've never talked about it. Like, I just found out recently that my sister felt this way about it. I knew, I've known for a few years that my brother has felt this way about it. And he known how I feel. But we didn't know how our sister felt. And she didn't know how we felt. So we all were sharing the same experience, the same feeling towards the same topic. Makes you wonder. Really makes you wonder. But... Yeah, so what started out is what was supposed to be a, you know, fairly fun, non-ranty, slightly ranty podcast has now turned into, I'm going to pour my heart out to you about my dad. <laughs> uh, I'm going through some stuff right now and, and making some tough decisions and um, 
uncharted territory. So I kind of miss talking to him and I kind of miss his simple um, country logic. He wasn't, he was a smart man, sort of. He wasn't an educated man. School and him did not mix very well. And he left school when he was in grade eight and went to trade school. And he was, like I said, he was an amazing mechanic. Had a hard time reading, had a hard time writing, spelling, not his strong suit. But he was an incredible mechanic. And he would read, try and read and learn as much as he could. And try and better himself. And he never made a point of telling, you know, telling us, I'm doing this to better myself. He just did it just did it and then every now and again he'd surprise us and say something like where did that come from how do you know that or mr smarty pants (laughs) and he just did it because he wanted to he wanted to understand the conversations his children were having the concepts his children were discussing and visualizing and debating. He wanted to be part of it. So he would read anything he could to learn more about it. And reading was difficult for him because he only had a grade eight education. So a lot of the bigger words were hard for him and mom would help him. Or he would get on the computer. Watching him on the computer was hilarious. When, when they finally got a computer, um, he was, yeah, he was, uh, a, a simple, a simple man, simple country man. Loved his wife, loved his kids, loved his cars. He was a car guy. Uh, loved NASCAR. NASCAR and his beer. Blue. Labatt's blue. And as he got older and mum would tease him about his dad bod, the bat's blue light. (laughs) So, you knew, you always knew when we were kids, we always knew when he had a hard day at work. When it was a rough day. Or something was bothering him. Because he always came home from work and the first thing he did was he would take his coveralls off because mom would yell, change his clothes, and wash up. And then he would grab a beer stretch out on the couch with his feet on the coffee table and ask us how our day was, what we're doing for homework, what our plans for the evening were, um, and flip on the TV, find some sports thing on TV and relax until dinner. And if he'd had a bad day, he would come home and he would have a Ryan Coke. So we kind of would not bother him and, and make ourselves scarce. When he was having a Ryan Coke. Not because he was a violent man or he would get drunk and be, you know, belligerent or whatever. But because we knew he had a hard day. He usually only drank hard liquor on the weekends. Sometimes. So if he came home midweek and had a Ryan Coke, Dad had a rough day. We're going to leave him be. But he liked his beer. He would drink his beer. He liked his beer. Yep. He was a beer man. Which was fine. You know, they had all this alcohol in the house and 
They never drank it. They'd have people over and have drinks, but whatever. But he never, he wasn't a drunk. He didn't get drunk. He would have a couple of beers. That was just dad. That was the 80s. You know, dad at the barbecue, having a beer and cooking up his burgers and steaks and whatever. You know, neighbors are coming over and having a beer. It was a dad thing to do. So, yeah. That was my beer of choice for the longest time. And, uh, every now and then, my brother and I'll split a, a blue. Or he'll have a blue and I'll have a blue and we'll toast dad. It's not a great beer. It's really not. <laughs> it's really, really not. It's kind of gone downhill over the years. But, uh, yeah. I miss my dad. So. Alright. Let me see what we're sitting at here. Uh, oh my gosh, we are an hour and eight minutes. Okay, I'm going to end this podcast. I didn't realize I had talked for quite that long. Um, and I will catch you all next week. So go to Facebook. I now have a, a fan page, a Facebook follow page. Look up Lupa's Bits, the podcast. And I'm going to be sharing it all over the place, so I'm sure you're going to see it. So go and check it out and stay in the know. I'll be posting the episodes there. And yeah. Have a good one, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Carry on my way, one son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.